it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Welcome again to another episode of Tales of a Red Arm, a Wheel of Time podcast. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Justin, and I am once again joined by James. The other one. The, yes, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> the the other other host. <laughs> but uh, we're glad you're joining us today, and we'll hope you continue to join us in further episodes as well, but... Today we're going to cover Chapter 1 of The Wheel of Time, and since we don't have any announcements or anything, um, we'll just jump right into it, I guess. So, uh, this is Chapter 1, An Empty Road of Book 1, The Eye of the World, and we're going to start with the, I guess you can consider it the intro to every book, since... There is a version of this in every single uh, book, but it's slightly altered, typically depending on where the book starts. But it's a classic, and everyone who is a fan of the series loves hearing this, so let's get on right into it. The Wheel of Time turns, and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the third age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountains of mist. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time, but it was a beginning. Whew, I love that. It gives me goosebumps every single time I read it. It's great quite powerful words very powerful um it gives you kind of a an idea of how time exists but at the same time it just like muddles it up and follows your brain because it's like yeah it's a an age yet to come but it's already been here (laughs) long past (laughs) you're like wait a minute (laughs) but it's it's a cool concept um it's definitely unique i don't know of any other series out there that uses this kind of system so, Robert Jordan definitely held his own. Um, the fact that it's a beginning just implies that there's a lot of possibilities, and that can leave a lot open to interpretation. So, maybe it's good interpretation, maybe it's bad interpretation. You never know, really. Um, but, I don't know. What, what do you think about that third age and the fact that all ages are all capitalized as like nouns well actually to kind of jump back to a stuff that we covered in the previous episode um quotes uh i guess he attached it to the um uh prologue uh they're written in the fourth age yes well the fourth age was referenced in the histories and prophecies at the very end of the prologue that was when it was announced. It does not necessarily state that the transpire, or not transpired, <laughs> the uh, the events that transpired um, were necessarily in the fourth age. 
So I, it makes you wonder if it's like, is the fourth age be, like before the third age and it like counts down or like, it's, it's, it's always been a strange concept to even me, but the timeline's kind of all over the place as it is. Um, I guess I did forget last episode to mention that the mountain that Luce Theron made is actually called Dragon Mount. That's the name of the prologue. That's the Dragon's Mount. It's not exactly overtly clever. <laughs> it's Mount Doom, essentially. <laughs> it's it's a pretty simplistic form of saying, yeah, the dragon made a mountain. Dragon Mount. <laughs> pretty straightforward. But... Uh, I'm not sure what age that would be considered. I figured it'd be closer to like the end of the first age if you we were doing it in a numerical order forward. But again, because how the wheel weaves its time and turns its time, it's a little bit, a little bit more confusing. But if anybody has a, uh, a more knowledgeable time frame of that that we could work with, maybe that would be something. A little bit easier to understand for others, especially the new readers. I, I wish I could make it sound simpler, but I obviously cannot. Um, so if anybody has any concept of that, I believe it kind of touches on that as the story goes on through dialogue and stuff like that. But at the moment, I'm drawing a blank. So we'll have to go through it and explain it, I guess, as we go. <laughs> but... Um, Right after that wonderful intro, we get a massive, it, well, at least say, it feels like a massive detailed portrait of the world. And I, like, as you zoom down into it, it kind of like, like the beginning part mentions the mountains of mist, which is if you see the map right before chapter one, the mountains of mist are kind of on the left not quite along the coastline, but a little bit more west of center. Um, you can see like Andor on the map. And if you go west, you'll see like a big mountain range that goes north to south. It would be the Mountains of Mist. Um, and if you look at the smaller, closer map that shows the entire Two Rivers territory, and you'll see uh, Terran Ferry, Watch Hill, Emmonsfield, Devon Ride. Uh, all that stuff. But if you go west of Emmonsfield, it goes into the Mountains of Mist. So you can kind of get an idea where you're at. But that's kind of the picture I see when like it's going through this wonderful intro. It kind of like zooms down, shows you the, the Mountains of Mist region, which would be this Emmonsfield, like the, the Two Rivers area where Emmonsfield is. And kind of just like zoom down on top of it and be like, yeah, check this out. There is a, uh, a little place kind of like hoveled in the little corner of the mountains and that's kind of where the story takes place so it kind of gives you that pretty cool feel of like zooming into it and then you get a uh, references to the sand hills um, breaking of the worlds brought up again so this is way after the breaking of the world several thousand years if I remember correctly um and it goes into the two rivers and the Westwood. Now, the Westwood is like a giant forest between um, Mountains of Mist and Emmonsfield. Um, it's notorious for 
being dangerous. <laughs> so, um, but it's a forest, so it's going to have all the dangers of uh, any forest you would expect. But Mountains of Mist also brings connotations with it as well. Um, so the quarry road is what we're introduced to, and two men walking with a, ca a cart and horse, as they say. And um, it's the time the time frame would be spring, but it stills like a, a snow season. So it's a very, very late winter that's moving into when spring would normally be. And then we have uh, the first character of Chapter 1 actually named, which is Randall Thor. Um, as he is entering the scene, so to speak, um, it really puts a heavy notation on it's cold. <laughs> he wishes he was warmer. And he wishes his coat was heavier. So he's obviously trying to stay warm. So it, they're, they're very aware that it's supposed to be spring. And it's not. Um, but that wind's pretty strong. So as he's walking along, he has uh, he's walking alongside the cart with the horse. And his father, Tam. So Tam Althor is another character. Um, James, when you first read this what were your initial i don't know your initial thoughts on randall thor and tam althor with how they're described in terms of i mean besides obviously they're cold <laughs> um what did, what did you think about this section even a little bit past where we're at uh well those are just a little uh I don't know, I got an age of kind of speculating things, uh, them just traveling, uh, pulling a car with them. Uh, one of the major details that actually stuck out with me is the fact that both of them are armed. Yes, yes. Um, like I had mentioned, the Westwood is not the safest place, but in comparison to the Mountains of Mist, it's considered safe. Um, so, I think it would be fairly reasonable to assume anyone traveling from point A to point B would typically want to be armed unless they're on like a heavily trafficked area and since this is not a heavily trafficked area because the two rivers is kind of off the beaten path from everywhere um, it's the two rivers is kind of encased by uh, two rivers pun intended <laughs> so it's it's kind of sitting in between and the only real entrance is from the north at Tyron, Tyron Ferry um, so it's, it's not a, it's a very wild, uh, location, um, whether it be wolves, wild boar and any, anything, even bears coming from the mountain and stuff. It, it's, it's not like civilization of like a city or a capital of a nation or something. It's, it's very much out there, the bumpkins and you know, farmers and such. It's, it's, it's very much protect what is yours because your sheep are going to get nabbed by something if you're not watching them. Your chickens are going to get snatched, etc. by those foxes. But, um, yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. very, very wild place. It's, it, it has a very Wild West feel to it almost, but not quite because of the reasons the Wild West is notorious for being Wild West. Um... Robert Jordan does a 
beautiful job of detailing even things small things like brambles and nettles and nettles are annoying at best but he sits there and describes them so detailed because you can tell he puts a lot of passion in that painting of that picture for us the reader to understand this is a big deal because it's part of your visualization it's not a big deal because you know those nettles are going to travel to the end of the world etc and become something awesome it's it's quite literally like these nettles mean nothing but they're described so well to give you that vivid picture of this is what's going on this is where this father and son are traveling through but it's also clinging to the concept of it's supposed to be spring and it's trying to really pound that into our brain so um it mentions him you know knocking an arrow and having it ready to be drawn to his cheek um because they're in the middle of nowhere if something happens if a wolf comes out of nowhere and attacks the horse or them they're on their own so being on their guard is something that they're trying to do um and basically wolves are a constant threat as we see here and bears are also a thing but the problem is is that after dark it's not just the sheep that are a problem <laughs> that of getting taken and the cattle and horses are also problem lose, losing those on the farm and stuff like you that's that's a farmer's livelihood. They don't want to risk any of that, so they're like, we're we're taking extra precautions. Um, so you got Tam on one side of Bella and Rand on the other side. Um, we get a description of Tam with his thick chest and broad face. He was a pillar of reality uh, to Rand. He's as to say, like a stone in the middle of drifting dream. Um, he's definitely very much a farmer. But he's got that sturdiness about him that is very calming for Rand. And basically, <laughs> Rand's like, yeah, no one's going to stop us because Tam's going to get to Emmons Field one way or the other. So <laughs> don't worry about that. So they get to a... Uh, the point where Rand's like, I'm not even really paying attention to what I'm supposed to be paying attention to, which is my side of the cart, and feels kind of bad about it, but Tam's just kind of trudging along, and now we get a little bit of a detail of Rand, where he's a head taller than his father, taller than anyone else in the district, which is the entire two rivers, and he doesn't look much like Tam. Um except for his width of soldier soldier <laughs> shoulder <laughs> his width of soldier what um he has gray eyes reddish tinge to his hair which came from his mother so tam told him now uh she's an outlander tam's from this region um the al and uh al thor is a very common for this region and as we'll see later, different characters have Al in their name, and it's just a common thing in this this particular area, or as they said, district. Um, 
So we also hear about this thing called Beltine, which happens in the spring. And that's kind of what we're heading towards Emmons Field for, is Beltine, which is coming up. Um, and I guess we'll have you take over this part, James, um, and take it away. Two small casks of Etam's apple brandy rested the lurching cart, and eight large barrels of apple cider, only slightly hard after a winter's curing. Tam delivered it the same every year to the Wine Spring Inn, for its use during Beltine, and yet he had declared it that it would either take him more than wolves or a cold wind to stop him this spring. Even so, he had not even been near to the village for weeks. Not even Tam travelled here much these days. But Tam had he given his word about here the brandy and cider, even if he had here waited here to make delivery until the day before the festival. Keeping his ear word, it was important to Tam. Rand was here just here glad to get away from the farm, almost as he glad about here the coming of Beltine. So we get this image that they're excited about Beltine, but he's also, Rand's not like, like he enjoys being a farmer and whatnot, and it's hard work, and he, he's satisfied and content with it, but he's also glad to be away from it because, as we kind of tell, the farm's not next to Emmonsfield in terms of like just there. It's it's a bit it's a bit of a travel to go from the farm to all the way into town. So they're still technically part of Emmonsfield as opposed to Devon's uh, Devon's Ride or Watch Hill or something. But at the same time, they're a bit <laughs> a bit a bit out there in the boonies. So um, Rand feels like he's getting watched. And then it's that constant itch in the back of the neck that I'm sure at least at some point in our lives, everyone's experienced. <laughs> it's not really a surprise. Um, and then we get kind of a f an interaction between Rand and an unknown figure that is not too far away, <laughs> but behind them. So... Rand kind of starts walking backwards, and it's it it gives you very much uh, a creepy feel because it's like you know you're walking somewhere and you turn around and somebody's kind of like there, and then you keep walking and then you turn around and they're still there. <laughs> it's just like mm, that's not normal. That that shouldn't be there. That shouldn't be that way. Um, so basically, he just gets kind of this feel that something's off. It's it's not. It's not supposed to be this way. And can't see the face. It's all, all it is is it just feels like this this sensation of emotion, of hatred. And just as he's like getting closer to possibly understanding a bit more about it, he trips because he's walking backwards and sure. boom. Now he's just like, Oh, not paying attention to what's going on. And Tam's like, what's going on? <laughs> and then Rand's like, there's a dude following us. What are we going to do? And then Tam, who now we see is fairly heavily armed with a, a broad bladed spear, turns around and is looking around like somebody there. 
Rand's like, yeah, it's... Where did he go? <laughs> and just vanishes out of nowhere. Or out of thin air. Just as it came out of thin air. And... He starts describing this man to Tam. And Tam's like, I mean, I mean, I believe you, but I don't see him. So what, what do I do? And Rand gets up his bow that he dropped and his arrow knocks it. And then he's like, I'm ready to go. But he's like, ah, I guess he was. The, I mean. I think he was there. I saw him. And Tam's like, well, even if you say he's there and I believe you, let's head to town after we check to make sure, you know, if, if, if he was there, they'll leave footprints. Right. And then the thing that Rand finally realizes before Tam starts heading that direction is that the cloaked individual did not, get affected by wind which is obviously a curious thing considering we just went through an entire couple paragraphs of rand trying to hold his cloak closer to him and tighter because it's so cold and the wind's whipping it around him so what do you think about this little encounter james well definitely buildsy buildsy is what we like uh, a sinister air Especially about it, this a mysterious individual. And, uh. Well, we as the reader at this moment here don't know if, uh, spectral beings and stuff like that are common. But, at least it's not as cliche to just have Tam slap, uh, slap around here, around the back of the head, and be like, no, you're seeing things. <laughs> yeah. That like, instead of the other things. Well, it, it, does, it does show a level of trust between father and son i mean it we, we cover that rand's mother passed away and he's with his father and this bond between them would obviously have grown only stronger since the passing of his mother although we're not really told how or why she passed just that she did and being that they work on the farm, they live together. And even though Rand might be like, you know, a rabble rouser in town when he's amongst other people, he knows he's expected to behave a certain way when he's with his father. And he knows to tell the truth to his father. And that's, uh, it shows us a very strong sense of trust between the two that Tam doesn't just dismiss him out of hand. I'm, I'm sure you'd agree with that at least. Mm -hmm. um, but, but Rand himself is also, he's his own worst critic. <laughs> so he feels really like stupid about this. Like, man, I'm, I must be seeing things So he's like, I, I don't worry about it. Even though, like, he's been to, you know, all the crazy places around where you're supposed to have bad luck and whatnot, even up to the very foot of the Mountains of Mist with his closest friends, Matt Cawthon and Perrin Barra. So we have two new characters joining, but they're not here at the current present time, so we're not directly introduced to them yet. But um, 
there's a lot in the world that these folk don't know because they're literally trapped between two rivers and a mountain and a forest. There's, there's not a whole lot they know about the world. But, so Rand stops his father, and I'll let you pick up from there. No, <clears throat> oh, father, there's no need. When Tam stopped in his surprise, Randy covered his ear flushy by tugging at the hood of his cloak. You're probably right. No point in looking if a boy isn't there. Not when we can use either time you're getting on you to the village and out of this wind. I could do with my pipe, Tam said slowly, at a mug of ale where it's warm. Abruptly, he gave a broad grin. And I expect you're eager to see Egwin. And I said that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Egwin. It's, it's Egwene. 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 <laughs> Don't worry. It'll take some time to get used to it, but <laughs> go ahead and continue. Rand managed a weak smile. Of all things he might have wanted to think about right now, the mayor's daughter was here far down the list. He did not need any more confusion. For the past year, she had been making me increasingly jittery whenever they were together. Worse, she did not even need to me to be aware of it. No, he certainly did not hear one day to add a green knee to his thoughts. So, we get this... <laughs> this obviously <laughs> awkward relationship going on. It's awkward like... relationship with a person with an awkward name. <laughs> Well, it wouldn't be awkward for them, but I mean, it, it, it is funny because it's like you have a young lad. I mean, he's obviously not on his own with his own farm and stuff, so he's still living with his parents. So we're assuming, you know, he's mid-20s down to potentially mid-teens or something like, I mean, somewhere in that range because he hasn't gone out on his own and done whatever. So... And even, I believe this region's also pretty notorious for having people who are of age that still stay on the farm because they need farm hands anyway. <laughs> so it wouldn't, it wouldn't be out of the, I, I wouldn't be out of mind to be like, hey, I'm going to just stay with my family and work and eventually I can save up and buy a house maybe in town or buy a farm or whatever. But it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for that. But I like that he, even even his dad realizes that there's a thing going on and Rand doesn't realize what that thing is. And apparently neither does Egwene. But us, the reader, are sitting here like, yeah, we know what's going on. <laughs> and it's, it's one of those things where, like, I, th I think any men listening are like, yeah, uh... I've, I've been around a girl at, w at least once in my life where, you know, I felt awkward around her, but she didn't really think much of that and didn't think that she was being in the presence of someone awkward towards her because she wasn't thinking that she was doing anything different. Like, it's like being in the presence of somebody who's, like, really beautiful and you just stammer trying to talk to her and then realizing she has no idea that that's 
that there's anything that she's causing <laughs> to happen and you're just having just a fit over it. So <laughs> I think that's just like a funny thing. And maybe, maybe there's some women that have had that happen in their life with a man, but I'm not going to presume anything, but, <clears throat> um, now we're interested in- introduced to a concept called the flame and the void, which is a curious thing, and it's something we definitely want to keep an eye on throughout the series, um, because different different characters use the concept of this flame and void. So it's interesting to hear Rand's father, Tam, say this. And it's even funnier as the next paragraph mentions, it's an odd thing. <laughs> so... You concentrate on a single flame and feed all your passions into it. Fear, hate, anger, until your mind comes completely empty. And then when you hit that moment where everything is fed to this void, you can basically do anything. You're not letting your emotions get you trigger happy. You don't burst out in anger. You become emotionless. But you're you're calm. So you can do things. And... As it says, Tam's the archery champion of Beltine every year. And if Rand's hoping to enter an archery competition or something, he thinks that with this, he might stand a chance. He doesn't think he's going to be his dad, obviously, because he's the champion every year. But he at least stands a chance because he has this concept, but he has to train himself in this concept. But he is aware that his dad is aware that something's bothering him. So that's again, with that trust we had, it's not just that, you know, he believes what he says just because it's like, there's an actual trust. And along with that trust, they know kind of a bit about each other in a way where at least Tam knows when something's bothering Rand. And even if it's a Gwen, if it wasn't this black cloaked individual, it's at least still, something that he would notice and be like, Hey, something's bothering him. I'm going to remind him of this thing I taught him and hopefully that'll help him. And then it helps clear his mind up a little bit. So they move along and Rand's just trying to convince himself. It was just my imagination. Don't worry about it. And then we get kind of a little, uh, section about the village, its specifics and such, where how close it is to the Westwood Um, and then it kind of like thins out as it like comes into the town. So you have a town that's really close to the trees, which in all reality is kind of strange considering the dangers of the Westwood. Granted, it is a little bit less, it's a little bit more sparse and less thick as it gets closer to the village. But even then it just seems a little odd because even like in medieval history or anything like that, castles and such would have like cut down all the trees around them so if anybody was trying to get within range of them they could see them and they could stop them that was like a whole point so it's kind of odd to have a village in the middle of a forest let alone on the side of a forest um it's just my observations um so then we get like the village is hopping like there's small children dogs all over the place it's it's Busy, 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 busy. And Beltine's apparently 
the cause of it. Um, but Beltane being a festival makes everybody get kind of giddy, especially when you're living in a town in the middle of nowhere and nothing to do. Um, so we get this picture of uh, the town bustling and hustling and um, children doing what children do, which is play and have fun and whatnot. And the adults are preparing for this big festival that's a big deal. Um, so Tam stops and kind of mentions to a couple people like, Hey, how's it going? Haven't seen you in forever and checking out news, like anything come in recently. And they talk about winter storm damage, any, any, any bad luck instances with the fields, the livestock and all that jazz. Um, so then we get, uh, a lot of people not finding it particularly great talk <laughs> and we're going to pick up a section here. Uh, most of the men rolled their shoulders and said, well, we'll survive the light willing. Some grinned and added, and if the light doesn't will, we'll still survive. <laughs> Which I love. That was the way of most two rivers. People, people who had to watch the hail beat their crops or the wolves take their lambs and start over. No matter how many years it happened, did not give up easily. Most of those who did were long since gone. And with this, you get kind of a concept of it's a very much a stubborn village and or several group of villages since it's the entire area. But they they're just they're survivalists. They will survive hard times, hardships, etc. And they are all about just Basically, I mean, surviving. Surviving is basically the best way I can put it. But they're, they're 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 stubborn. So we get that two rivers folk are stubborn, which is a pretty. I mean, we think a person is stubborn because you know they're not gonna you're you can't tell me what to do or blah 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 blah. But no, this is this is legit groundbreaking difference in terms of stubborn. Like it's a whole another can of worms, and um. I mean, I guess James, what 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 would you compare this kind of stubbornness to when you literally say, "Well, if fate wills it, hey, we'll we'll survive." But if it doesn't, we'll still survive. Like, what what level of stubbornness would you compare that to, if any at all? Uh, well, where I come from, he that's he just he knows he just he sheer bloody mindedness. <laughs> people, people will just do it because it's the only thing to do. Yeah. And then that's also just the level of stubbornness that they are on. And uh, see, it's constantly mentioned here throughout the chapter. You just see like how hard, harsh like the land actually is, just on you know, like a regular basis. Very not rocky. Not just counting for the uh, the recent winter. Yeah, and then the fact that it's very rocky around there, so it's it's hard to tell. Um, like even the roads are rock paved probably more or less with um, like a flagstone style. Probably not as nice as a flagstone per se, but they're at least like a paved path from one point to another point where the rest of it is you got rock outcroppings. You've got your forest and your mountains, but you just got sheer rock everywhere else. So 
it's it's not just an easy farm situation. So they're already having to work their butts off to get anything to grow. So having it not grow is just like, ugh, get you right in the gut as a farmer. And having, you know, wolves take your sheep or bears breaking in and killing your cattle and your horses. Remember, this is a very secluded area of the world. It's not a very heavily trafficked spot. So you're you're just basically, like, if you lose a horse, you have to go pay an arm and a leg to get another horse. Because, I mean, you know, the, law, <laughs> the laws of supply and demand don't just vanish because you live out in the middle of nowhere. Somebody's not going to just hand you a horse because... Maybe they would to help you get back on your feet because, you know, it's a community. But I don't picture that as being a common thing. Somebody might give you a deal where, you know, they give you a horse, you do your stuff, and then when you can afford it, they buy the horse off of you officially or whatever. Like, there, there could be several ways to do it. But when something happens, when disaster strikes, it's going to be tough to just rebound. So, um... Then we get introduced to another character, Whitconger, um, where basically Whitconger just steps in front of Tam and Rand and Bella, poor Bella. <laughs> um, so we get a little information on the Congers and the Coplins, which are basically intermarried to the point where no one knows who's not a Conger and who's not a Coplin. <laughs> I mean, we we all probably know a couple families like that in our respective nations. Um, <laughs> but, um, but they're they're also notorious families from everywhere in the two rivers, and they're notorious complainers and troublemakers. So you don't have to look too far when something goes awry, typically, or at least to at least point the blame at maybe it was them. <laughs> um, so Tam's trying to get to the wine spring in to do his deliveries, and obviously Whitconger's just like, hey, this other character, now that we're in a, uh, introduced to, Nynaeve, is being complained about by Whitconger, and a title that we haven't seen yet, which is The Wisdom. A wisdom would be very much uh, a healer or a soothsayer of some sort. Like There's a variety of different titles you could potentially give them but that's more or less what a wisdom is but in this particular context wisdoms are notorious for being able to excuse me Ooh. i know right that that wind <laughs> they're able to basically gather information about the weather because they can hear like it's like they talk to the wind basically the weather the weather in general and be like oh it's gonna rain in a couple days or whatever like that that's something that is almost a mystical presence about them even though they don't have any powers or anything out of the ordinary beyond herbs and uh pulses and stuff like it's it's just them keeping their community alive and each town has a wisdom so Devon Ride has one, Watch Hill has one, and even Tyron Ferry has one. Um, so it's a it's a new character with a new title, and Wit is obviously not happy with the current wisdom. 
And of course, Tam is not enjoying this conversation. <laughs> He's just like, <sighs> so here we learn something interesting. The wisdom is women's business. And we learn about this women's business a little bit later on where it's the women's circle, just a couple of spots down. Actually, um, the women's circle is obviously full of women. Basically the women of the town get together, or at least the more influential women of the town get together and discuss what they think are issues. And then we also hear about another kind of counter to the women's circle, which is the village council. The village council is what you would expect, a, a group of men that run the business in every day of the town. If there's an issue, typically the village council deals with it. Any kind of finances or anything to fix something or bring in materials from the outside when a peddler comes by, that's village council in typically. Um, so the women's circle have what they think is important and the village council has what they think is important. And... As we kind of learn later, you get a little bit of who's on the village council. So I won't spoil that too much, but there's there's a sense of this community is split mostly into two and uh, who gets what favor. And it's usually men versus women in terms of who gets what say and what. Um, but I do like that Tam kind of points out that Whit Conger is kind of putting himself in danger because if Nynaeve heard him about heard him complaining about her, she'd come thump him in the head. <laughs> so you get like Nynaeve's a little violent apparently. <laughs> so you gotta kind of watch your step. Um, oh shoot, lost my spot. There we go. Um, and then <laughs> I love I love this right at, right as soon as he's mentioned the village council and the women's circle, you got this little section. What business of yours is the wisdom, Wit Conger? roared a woman's voice. Wit flinched as his wife marched out of the house. <laughs> I think most married men can relate to that. <laughs> uh, Daisy Conger was twice as wide as Wit, a hard-faced woman without an ounce of fat on her. She glared at him with her fists on her hips. You try meddling in women's circle business and see how you like eating your own cooking which you won't do in my kitchen and washing your own clothes and making your own bed, which won't be under my roof. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just find that funny. Cause it's just like, one of, the, one of the funniest things you can like have an interaction between a husband, and a husband and a wife. <laughs> and uh, Wit's reaction was just basically a whine and Tam's just like, I have better things to do than to step in between you. So pardon me. Light shot on you both, and then gets a move it. <laughs> well, at least now we know who he was. The pants in that relationship. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we we do. Um, although Wit might complain about that, but not in the not in hearing of his wife or anybody who might tell his wife. <laughs> oh, I just love it. So you get this little like. I mean, you have Daisy Congers, not. A large woman in terms of you know just round but like she's ripped <laughs> like she's she's gonna she's gonna take on somebody like i'm just i'm just picturing 
like Days Conger like bumping arms with like a merchant's guard and like just beating the snot out of the merchant guard. <laughs> <laughs> like it would be the funniest thing to see. Uh but she's like, hey, hey, wisdom wis in women's business is not your business. Back off. But she's so engrossed with her husband that she doesn't realize who her husband was talking to. And the next part kind of points out that's probably a good thing for Tam. And we get this little information about the village and more specifically the women in the village. Because <laughs> uh, as, as they're referred to as good wives of Emmons Field. Um, and I, I love this term. They went on point like hounds spotting a rabbit when they saw Tam. Like, <laughs> Tam's obviously a good-looking dude, and he's obviously a sturdy enough fellow that a woman would feel safe in his presence and whatnot. But he's also a landowner, even if it is in a not-so-great area like the Westwood. And Rand's like, oh, I gotta catch up before I even give away, give away my dad, because that wouldn't be good. Um, but because of his father, Rand is also conveniently single, just like his dad. So, hey, there's, there's two single men and there's a certain farm attached to those men. And the men are, at least in Tam's retrospect, is pretty influential, it seems, considering everybody is trying to get his opinion and whatnot. Um... And everyone, at least of the women, appreciate that he loves and is loyal to his wife, even though she's no longer with a living. They think that he could, he could do with another wife, you know. <laughs> um, but they also poke at Rand and saying, eh, how old are you, Rand? <laughs> and since we already know Rand has problems with women... And awkward situations, like with Egwene, he obviously is not fond of it either. So he's like, I'm going to catch up. So they, they keep moving on. Um, and then I'll have you pick up this part. Like most Etuian Rivers folk, Rand had a strong stubborn streak. Outsiders, sometimes they said it was the prime trait of the people in the two rivers that they could give me mules lessons and teach stones. The good wives were fine and kindly women, for the most part, but he hated being pushed into anything. They made me feel as if he were being a product of sticks. So he walked fast, and it wished he time it would he hurry Bella along. <laughs> Soon, the street opened here on near to here the green, a broad expanse near the middle of here the village, usually covered it with thick grass. Oh, it was I supposed to read that bit? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's fine. Um, no. Never mind that. <laughs> but yeah, you, you get the sense, like, Rand's like, I, w I want to go. So I'm going to, you know, the stubborn streak's not that great when women, you know, get their eyes caught on you. And they're like, I know the perfect girl for you. <laughs> so they're like, ah, I'm going to keep going, keep going. Um, safety in numbers. So <laughs> he goes with his dad and is like, let's go. Um, but where you part you were picking up on the green, which is also a proper noun is a broad expanse in the middle of the village. So 
this is that special festival spot, but it's also kind of like the center of town, so to speak. Um, but it also shows that this particular, this particular year, it's not doing so hot because it's normally really thick grass, but it's just dead. It's, it's, it's wintered and it's not able to grow. Um, and then we get to see a couple of different animals and stuff, which not a, gr it's, it's not really a massive importance to know about geese and, you know, cows and stuff, but it gives you a nice picture for the setting of what's going on on the green and everything that's happening since they've come into town. So again, little pieces of detail. Robert Jordan does an excellent job of still just throwing them in there to paint another picture. So as you're going, the picture keeps following with it. Um, so the wine spring is a particular, uh, I guess you, it's a spring. <laughs> it's just called the wine spring. But it's a, apparently it's a flow strong enough to knock a man down and sweet enough to justify its name a dozen times over. So I don't know how many people have had spring water. I've had bottled spring water. I've never had it fresh out of a spring, but it definitely has a different unique taste to it, but I've never considered it like wine taste. I don't know. Have you ever had wine or uh, not wine? <laughs> have you ever had spring water anywhere up there? No, I don't trust the water out here. <laughs> you don't trust the natural water? Nope. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, they, they got um, spring water, mineral water, and a bunch of other things. But I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's natural minerals in spring water. But uh, I guess it depends on where you live. But <clears throat> so we get another character, Master Thane, who is the miller. Um, introduced kind of quickly, albeit off off to the side a little bit. Um, we get some railed low footbridges, uh, kind of give you an idea. This the spring goes right through town. Like <laughs> it's it's not a little spring; it's a big spring, and it just keeps on giving. Um, we get directions which aren't particularly necessary but it's basically devon rides south watch hills north and tarn ferries north of watch hill um tarn ferry is the exit of the two rivers but it's also the entrance to the two rivers and i mean if tarn ferry didn't give it away it, it has a ferry <laughs> um and we get a thing where basically they're not sure why a road has a north and a south different names, but they're like, eh, it's always been that way. That's good enough. Um, so we get this picture of them preparing and they're already getting ready for like, they got the wood all stacked up. They're preparing for different fires and all that stuff. And you know, it's, it's winter. So cold, you know, you're expecting to have a decent amount, but you also get this image that, even when it's not winter, they still build the fires because it's part of the festival. Um, as they get close to the, to the wine spring, um, they notice a bunch of older women erecting what they call the spring pole, which is, I'm, I'm not sure how many people, I, I don't know if you guys do this in Britain, 
and I, I don't know why, but I feel like it was like a Britain tradition starting off, yeah. which is basically like yeah. a pole with a, a whole bunch of yeah, the maypole, kind of like a maypole, yeah. And um, who knew that May was you know spring, <laughs> but um, or is is May spring or is May summer? Uh, Maybe it'll be like hey, uh, the the so like kind of springtime ish. Yeah. Um. So we get to see this, and then there's, we also see this interesting. Well, for one, it's a ten foot high pole, which I'd assume is what a, a maypole would be. But um, we we get this little piece of information about a tradition amongst the women of the two rivers, which is, uh, well, I'll just read the. The sentence, just a quick sentence. A knot of girls too young to wear their hair braided sat cross-legged and watched enviously, occasionally singing snatches of the song the women sang. So this tradition of they they want to wear braided hair. So we assume that all the older women have their hair braided, and the women or the girls who are too young still like in their late uh either their late teens to younger child age uh do not have their hair in a braid and this is kind of important for later on uh instances but that's just a little thing where it's, it's one sentence but it points out something that kind of is a thing <laughs> that is uh a, a big deal to women so Tam and Ran and Bella keep on moving. And it shows the tradition of how the Maypole, as we would call it, the Spring Pole, as they would call it, is utilized for married and unmarried folk. And it's funny that nobody there knows why it is that way. It just is that way. <laughs> and they don't need an excuse to sing and dance. I mean, to be fair, it's the same thing with Hobbits. When Hobbits and Lord of the Rings wanted to get together and have parties, they didn't have to have an excuse. They just kind of like, mm, food, people, socialization, beer, or ale in their case. Sign mm. me up, I'll be there. Like, <laughs> let's smoke some pipe. So, um, we get to see that they have a whole bunch of, it's like a mini carnival festival. There's prizes and a bunch of stuff that you can do to participate. Um, and then, finally... Finally, because you know it's not even that big of a village, but it takes this long to get to, to get to the inn. So the Wine Spring Inn is on the east end of the green, which means it's going to be on the east side of basically, basically the furthest away from the main road that goes north and south towards Devon Ride and Watch Hill. So it's very much the center of attention. <laughs> Because it, it's what you would you would typically imagine in like a uh, a lord's mansion in medieval times where it's the center and the whole village and everything is built around it and all that type of stuff. It's it's very much a center of attention because it's the place to be. What I do find it funny is the two rivers isn't notorious for visitors. Like they have the occasional merchant, but not very often. But they have their own inn. <laughs> It's like, but inns are typically for rest. But if everyone here has their own homes, the only people it would really bring rest to would be 
you know, farmers from out yonder that are staying in town for a little bit. But that would be awfully expensive for them to do that. And I'm sure that somebody would have a friend in town they could stay with. But, I mean, do you, do you find it odd that there's an inn out in the middle of nowhere? Well, not so much, because uh, travel did exist in here, like, even in like, remote here farm settlements, uh, back in here, back historically. It's more so the placement that I find a little strange, in the fact that it's here, in here, like, the, like, the furthest point from the road. Yeah, so it's it's farther from the road, it's across the bridge, it's not like if you go on, like here in America, if you if you go like on a main highway like Interstate 70 or something, the interstate is where, if you're a business like a gas station or a, a hotel, motel or whatever, or even uh, a fast food restaurant or something, you're wanting to put it as close to that as you can because when somebody gets tired and needs to use the restroom, get some food, whatever, they're going to go to whoever's closest and convenient to your travel. So it's just kind of odd that it's sitting a bit away, but it's even odd that it's there to begin with, really. Like, I can understand maybe a tavern because, you know, some place where somebody, you know, wants to relax and whatnot. But keep in mind, merchants don't come that often and we'll see that with the peddler um, later on, that it's 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 not something extremely common. So they wouldn't have access to a large amount of uh, produce. So a lot of their, you know, alcohol or their food and stuff would all have to come from local in order to do this, like to have a, a functionable inn. It just seems kind of odd because I'm not sure how big a part coinage would play in a place like this outside of like a peddler, but a peddler or a merchant, a merchant's more likely to deal with coin where a peddler's just as likely to deal with coin as they are, or I should say just as likely to deal with trade as they would coin. So it just seems kind of odd to me personally. And again, this isn't something I thought of in previous time. This is also kind of a new concept to me. But it, it, it's just a little noticeable thing. It's just kind of, hmm, about that. But um, so that they get there, it's a two-story in, which to me is even a little bit more odd. Um, but <laughs> I do find it funny that the mayor... Um, Brandlewine Alvear, or Brandlewine, sorry, Brandlewine Alvear, uh, he's been the mayor for 20 years. Talk about being the incumbent. (laughs) 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 He's never getting voted out. Um, and he lives in the back with his wife and daughters. It's like, okay, so it's a two-story building, but it's like a full-fledged building and they don't even live upstairs and let everyone downstairs be the inn. they live in the back <laughs> so it's a it's a pretty good sized a pretty good sized inn and it's very colorful with a red roof tile and all that stuff like it's it's got th- three three chimneys and they're 12 feet tall 
that's pretty tall. <laughs> um, so then we get a little bit of them entering in. And in a normal Beltine, with the green coming out, they'd put out tables and benches. And there'd be trees amongst the area that would provide a nice, cool shade so that the breeze would hit you. And you could relax after dancing and, you know, being near the fires and all that stuff. But <laughs> it's it Tam makes a funny comment here where when they're arriving, Bella stopped before he could even stop her because Bella's so used to this. Bella's been doing this for years. And um I I, I always appreciate Tam when he talks. He he just has some of the best lines, I think. Um And as soon as they stop, Bran the mayor just whoo he he knows that they're there without knowing that they're there but maybe he doesn't know that they're there he just kind of conveniently walked outside of his inn and was like oh hey they're there and then we see the uh the the appointment of office around his uh neck which is a silver medallion with a set of balance scales which typically you'd think would be more wrong along the lines of like a merchant type thing, not necessarily a mayoral status. I mean, does that sound odd to you, James? Uh, well, like political leadership and wealth usually go hand in hand. And with it such a large enough establishment, I presume that uh, the mayor himself is a quite a wealthy gentleman. Uh, I mean, I can't say I've ever known... I can't say I've ever known him to be overtly, like, over-the-top wealthy. I mean, he obviously does well for himself because he has an inn, and it's the only inn. There is no competition, so anybody who wants to stay at an inn stays at his inn. But his source of income is going to be coming from, basically, his food, lodgings, drink, etc., and the place to stay and relax... Is going to be mostly what he does. I they don't really mention whether or not he gets paid to be mayor. Maybe he does or not. But being that his inn is the center of attention, obviously for this place, it wouldn't go too far to believe that he's just been a mayor since this place has been there, and he probably has some sort of a pension, I'd imagine. Um, albeit, again, coinage is not a huge thing out here, so his wealth wouldn't necessarily be directly in, you know precious gems and metals and stuff that that we would typically think of it as. Um, and I mean, if you think about it, it's a silver medallion, not a gold medallion. So he's not like over the top. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll have you take up after this part because it's the first initial dialogue between the mayor and Tam. Okay. Tam! The mayor shouted as he hurried you towards them. The light shine on me, it's good to see you at last. And you, Rand. How are you, my boy? Fine, Master Alvi, Rand said. And you, sir? Rand's attention he was already here back on Tam. I was almost beginning to think you wouldn't here be bringing your brandy this year. You've never waited here so late before. I've no way really liking for leaving the farm these days, Bran. 
Tamra replied. Not with the wolves, either way they are. And the weather. Bran harumphed. I could wish here somebody wanted to be here to talk about here something besides the weather. Everyone complains about it, and if Okui should he know he better expect me to hear set it right. I've just here spent twenty minutes explaining to him, Mistress here, Hardell. I can hear nothing here about here the storks. Oh, what she expected me to do? He shook his head. <laughs> so, <laughs> we get... Bran kind of, like, I love the part where he's just like, Hey, Ren, how are you? And just completely ignores him. <laughs> it's just like, I've noticed this in everyday life, and I'm sure everybody has come across this at some point, where we turn the whole, how are you doing, into kind of like a walk-by, rather than like an actual, like, conversation starter. It's like, James, how are you doing? Oh, oh, hi, Mistress O'Donnell. <laughs> like, it's just like, what's the point, honestly? But it, I, I really wanted to start laughing really loud, but I didn't want to interrupt. It's just like, it's just so funny. It's it's so funny how he just like, Rand's like, ah, man, he just says hi and doesn't even continue the conversation. Whatever. Um, and the fact that Bran's like, yeah, Mistress Aldonnell is complaining about the storks. I'm like, what does storks have to do with anything? <laughs> Like, like you're not even, like, in a place that's, like, heavily populated by storks. So, are you saying storks are coming here? Are you saying storks aren't here when they're supposed to be? Like, there's no swamps that I know of. Like, what what are, what's, what do the storks have to do with anything? <laughs> they're not, you're, they're not regional animals, are they? Um, unless, I mean, hypothetically, they could be referring to, you know, babies and storks. But, um, <laughs> maybe. I don't, I don't know. But um, then we get a little bit of a an introduction for everyone's favorite gentleman from the Two Rivers, Sen Bui. Uh, <laughs> and uh, basically, he marches up to Tam and Bran and has his walking staff, and he's just like, "Oh, it's all bad! It's all bad!" and does mention the storks nesting on the rooftops at Beltine. I'm wondering if maybe that's just like when they see storks, that means springs officially here and the birds have migrated there. Maybe that's what that has to do with it. Maybe it's probably not babies then. <laughs> but, um, and then Tam kind of sarcastically mocks Sen Bui <laughs> and uh, likens him to a soothsayer or a wisdom. And <laughs> Sen being the crotchety old man he is, he's like, <laughs> and um, it's almost like Sen's cursing. It appears that Bran thinks that Sen is cursing the village and like, we're going to be in winter, whether we're going to like it or not. And he's like, hey, that's it's not. It's not what I'm trying to say. I just I don't have much to say about the wisdom, and what I have to say is not good. <laughs> um, but I have much to say about her bad, I guess. So the women's circle here we see the women's circle and the village council are kind of at odds with each other, um, more often than not, because of course the women think they know what's for, what's better for everyone and the men think they know what's better for everyone and you have this clash um 
it's it's an interesting twist i don't want to say it's like sexist or anything but it it has that that hint or that tinge that smells like sexism but the way it's played out is more of it just makes sense that you know everybody thinks that they're right and then the ones that all think they're right are the women in this side and all the ones that think they're right on this side are men just happens to be how they get together um and then <laughs> basically Senbui's just complaining about the weather and Bran had already told us it's like well I wish somebody would talk about something other than the weather <laughs> and then of course as soon as he says that Senbui comes up and talks about the weather <laughs> so uh, we do get this thing where Sen mentions that when the wisdom who normally listens to the wind to find out when winter's going to end when she's asked about it she just gets upset and leaves it's like, why is she getting upset and leaving if this is literally her job? <laughs> and you sense that maybe she's frustrated with how winter is turning out. And maybe she doesn't know. But who knows? Besides, obviously, the wisdom. And um, <laughs> I like I kind of like Bran's little final piece here. The light protect me from fools. You're sitting on the village council, Sen, and now you're spreading Copland talk. Well, you listen to me. We have enough problems without. And then just kind of like, the light protect me, which is always just like that that fun little, uh, I, don't, I don't know what you call it, a montage. What would be the term for that? It's like a, a little phrase that, like, bless my beard if you're a dwarf or something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, and it's just—it's just like a turn of phrase. Yeah, it's a, it's a turn of phrase, but it's a fun little phrase because it works so well. But I don't know why it just does. It it fits. But then we find out that Sen's also on the village council with Bran and Tam, so we have three council members just sit here starting to chalk, and then we get a little extra here. So I'll go ahead and read this part. A quick tug at Rand's sleeve and a voice pitched low for his ear alone distracted him from the older men's talk. Come on, Rand, while they're arguing, before they put you to work. Rand glanced down and had to grin. Matt Cawthon crouched beside the cart so Tam and Bran and Sen could not see him. His wiry body contorted like a stork trying to bend itself double. Which <laughs> is a funny image itself. Um... Matt's brown eyes twinkled with mischief, as usual. Dav and I caught a big old badger, all grouchy at being pulled out of his den. We're going to let it loose on the green and watch the girls run. Now, Matt is officially introduced, and I have to say, Matt is a fun character. Um, and as you can tell, he's obviously a troublemaker. <laughs> it's not about his things, badgers on people. Yeah, an upset badger... And unleashing it on girls. And girls are already probably not fond of badgers, I'd guess. Um, but Rand, of course, thinks it's it's funny. He was like, man, Matt never grows up. And with the men still having their heads together, he's like, well, I, I promised I'd unload the cider. Um, so I, I don't really know if I can like get away or anything. And, of course, Matt is like, why do you have to do this? Burn me. I'd rather play stones with my baby sister. And it's like, here's another wonderful 
fragile toting, <laughs> pun intended, um, where he basically basically complains like, "Man, I hate doing work," <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, let's 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 go do something more exciting than you know toting barrels." So, and then he makes a quick mention of strangers in the two rivers, and before he can continue anything. You go ahead and pick up from here. For an instant, Rand stopped breathing. A man on horseback, he asked intently. A man in a black cloak, on a black horse, and with the cloak he doesn't move in the wind? Matt swallowed his grin, and his voice dropped into an even near horse whisper. You saw him too? I thought I was the only one. Don't laugh, hey, Rand. But he scared me. I'm not laughing. He scared me too. I could swear he hated me. Though he wanted here to kill me. Rand shivered. Until that day, had he never thought of anyone wanting to kill him. Really wanting to kill him. That sort of thing just didn't happen in the two rivers. A fist fight, maybe. Or a wrestling match. But not killing. I don't know about hating Rand, but he was here scary enough anyway. All he did it was he saw his horse looking at me, just out inside the village. Why have you never been here so we have frightened my life? Well, I looked away just for a moment. It wasn't easy, mind you. Then when I looked here back, he vanished. Blood and ash. Three days it's been. I can barely hardly, hardly stop here thinking about him. I keep looking over my shoulder. Matt attempted a laugh that came out as a croak. Funny how he being scared takes you. You think strange things. I actually thought, just for a minute, mind, it might be the Dark One. He tried another laugh, but no sound at all came out this time. Rand took a deep breath, as much to remind himself as he for any other reason. He said here by road. The Dark One and all the Forsaken are here bound near Shaogul, beyond the Great Blight. Bound here by the Creator at the moment of creation. Bound until the end of time. And the Creator shelters the world, and the light here shines on us all. He drew another breath and went on. Besides, if he was free, what would he, the Shepherd of either Night, be doing any of the river any of the two rivers watching farm boys? I don't know. I don't, but I do know that your rider was... evil. Don't laugh. I'll take off on it. Maybe it was the dragon. So, <laughs> I, I, my favorite phrase just popped up in this, which is blood and ashes. <laughs> I legitimately use that on a regular basis. Um, <laughs> the best part is blood and bloody ashes. Um... <laughs> But it's it's a great phrase, and I'm so glad Robert Jordan introduced me to it because it just fits. I'm like everything. <laughs> but um, here we have a base, basically a small summary of what we have experienced at the beginning of the chapter, and from the beginning of the chapter, the entire encounter with the cloaked, the black cloaked rider. And that hatred or that scariness about him. If somebody hasn't already made the correlation to J.R.R. Tolkien's Nazgul or 
the ring wraiths, the black riders, whatever you want to call them. It'd be funny not to just based off of just the description given. And it wasn't given just once. It's given twice by two different individuals. So even if one thought it was just their imagination, another one thinking it was just their imagination, but put them right next to each other. And it's like not so much of an imagination. So something fishy's going on. But Matt apparently see him three days ago where Rand just saw him this day. So it's like, well, what? <laughs> where's this guy been? What's he doing around? No one knows so far. So we're like, hmm. But then we also learn a little bit about the lore of the beginning of the book, which might relate a little bit to the prologue with the Dark One and all the Forsaken are bound in Sheol Ghul beyond the Great Light, bound by the Creator at the moment of creation, bound until the end of time. So it's more like a is it considered a cataclysm or uh what is, what is it, what's it called <laughs> it's like a chant but for like religious activities like the catholics do it and stuff I'm like not a cataclysm <laughs> it's a a catechism is that what it is i think that's what you're trying to get at i think that's what it is i'm probably wrong let me know email me and tell me how stupid i am <laughs> but I, I don't know which word it is off the top of my head um but basically, uh, it's kind of like this little thing. I, I'm, I'm just imagining Rand, you know, doing the whole cross thing le uh, up, down, left, right <laughs> across his shoulders and his forehead and his chest just to be like, oh, the dark one. <laughs> and um, but for the first time, we're really given a concept of the Forsaken um, after this little initiation of this. I don't really know what you call it. Cata, catechism, whatever. Um, and the Forsaken are kind of a new thing where, you know, they're apparently really bad dudes. I mean, if you're locked away with the Dark One, you've got to be a bad dude. <laughs> Like, it's you're you're not like you know the little thief on the street corner trying to steal your pocket change or you know uh, a murderer running around killing people because of reasons. Like you're a bad dude to be stuck in the same situation with the dark one. So, we get the name of two forsaken: Ishamael and Agenor. Um, <laughs> and basically, they're trying to. Matt's trying to basically take this Black Rider and compare, like, hey, hey, Forsaken, if it's a Forsaken, it's one of these two, Ishamael or Aganor. Which doesn't give us a whole lot to work with, other than, like, the naming of who they are and whatnot. But I do like the second half of it, where the hand of the creator shelters the world and the light shines on us all. So here we get to see the light. And hopefully this makes more sense based off of what we know of the prologue and the prophecies and histories at the end of the prologue before chapter one, that the light is a, an aspect of the creator. It's, it's the good. And everybody, despite whether they believe the creator exists or not, utilizes the light as good fortune or uh, fate being kind on them, etc. 
something similar to that. Um, but we also get another term for the dark one, the shepherd of the night. And they're, they're trying to find this as like a laughable Rand's trying to make it seem like a laughable instance. Um, but then Matt makes a curious, a curious comparison, considering what we know of the histories and prophecies right at the end of the prologue. He says, I don't know, but I do know that the river was evil. Don't laugh. I'll take oath on it. Maybe it was the dragon. So now we're comparing the dragon with evil, which according to the histories, um, let's go back to the histories and prophecies where the first one they're saying the dragon breaks the world. So you're like, okay, well maybe that's why he's evil. But then we go to the next one and it's all of a sudden it's like, oh, please let, please let the dragon come back. Let him ride again on the winds of time. Well, why would you want an evil person to ride the wings of time? So it's almost like maybe they have a misunderstanding or maybe we're misunderstanding what is going on. But I, I thought that was particularly funny. I don't, I don't know. Did you find that nearly as interesting as I did? Well, it's something that covers a lot. Um, In a short time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also it is of... Uh... I know they sort of uh, sort of established to say not quite a like the creation myth or but sort of you say like a kind of like a one of the uh, sort of prime foundations for, like uh, the world, the the lore, the beginning of yeah. the beginning of the materialization of lore as it grows, which we saw in the prologue gave us a little bit to work with, especially with the histories and prophecies, but it didn't really give us enough foundation, but it gave us information especially information that you'd want to go back to after you read up enough a bit more about it. But it, it gives you that intro. So again, Robert Jordan being the genius he is feeding you a little bit of information at a time. <laughs> and you're like, well, dang it. Now I want to know what else is going on. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. And then ran, ran kind of like compares Matt to send Bowie because of how cheerful he's being, which I think is hilarious considering, He's an old grimy complainer of on the village council, which is like, how do you get on the village council and be that much of a complainer? Um, but then, you know, we move on and then we're just like, Matt's like, I'm, I was scared. I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm man enough. I'll admit it. And Rand's like, yeah, I'm right there with you. But my dad thinks I was jumping at shadows. And Matt's like, yeah, mine does too. But Dav and Elam Dowtry, they thought, like, I told them, and they seem to be watching like crazy. Like, they don't seem to think I'm just pulling their leg. But, Elam think maybe he thinks I'm trying to trick him. But, Dav just thinks he's from Terran Ferry. And then we get this hilarious thing. I mean, imagine this Lord of the Rings where, like, oh, yeah, there's a black rider around here. And then you got a hobbit telling another hobbit, like, oh, what do you think? He's probably a sheep stealer or a chicken thief. And they're like, know what you know about Nazgul. It's like, yeah, probably, probably not. <laughs> Unless you're the chicken or the sheep. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I would feel. I feel like one of my friends here just came to me and said, oh, I sold the devil today. I, well, if I told someone else in the, he, he was convinced he was actually just, a, just you know, like, a, uh, he's just a thief trying to reef. steal livestock. It's just like, Yes, the devil and a livestock thief definitely on the same level. <laughs> but um, and then Rand's like, well, maybe he, maybe he is, 
And Matt's like, well, regardless, I didn't like how he looked at me. And you didn't either. Um, so they're like, well, we got to tell somebody. Like, well, we both told somebody, but no one believes us. Um, try to convince the mayor. He'd send us to the wisdom. Um, he's like, well, there's two of us. No one would believe we both imagined it. And he's like, mm, maybe, but Matt's a, a notorious prankster. And he does some really funny stuff. I mean, again, Matt is a, a funny character. Um, and then Rand's like, well, everyone would believe that, you know, you put me up to it. And it's not, it's, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And, but Rand does notice that the mayor's talking to Sen, but he also notices that Tam's not there. <laughs> and all of a sudden, bam, Tam shows up. Hey, Matrim. And <laughs> I see you come to help Rand. Good lad. So you get Matt like, oh, hey, um, uh, good morning to you, Master Elthor. Uh, and to you, Master Elvir and Master Bowie. Uh, may the light shine on you. My da sent me to... <laughs> And Tam, I love Tam. His, his first line is, no doubt he did. <laughs> like, Tam's not buying it for a second. I'm like, ah, Tam, I love you so much. <laughs> You're so great. Um, and then, um, and since you're a lad who does his chores right off, you finished that task already. So, come on over and help. And then the quicker you get done, the quicker you can see the gleeman. And... All thoughts of Matt trying to escape just vanished right then. Just poof. Gleeman? And then Rand's like, what? When? When is he going to get here? And we get a little history on Gleeman. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the Gleeman, um, maybe, I mean, if you're familiar with like D&D &D or something, it'd be kind of similar to a bard. But a bard in D&D's more often than not a traveling barge they go from town to town playing music and singing uh ballads and stuff like that um which is kind of what a gleeman does but a gleeman does more than just sing and stuff and play music they uh, are notorious for being entertainers they're, they're traveling entertainers extraordinaire if you will and they'll bring news to remote places like the two rivers but they'll also you know juggle balls, play instruments, do ballads with or without music. Um, but also do things like, you know, play with fire and breathe fire, eat fire, eat swords, that kind of thing. Like all the fun little things you'd imagine, like maybe a clown or something, but without dressing up like a clown, it's just themselves. But a gleeman has a gleeman cloak and a gleeman cloak is basically a whole bunch. It's it almost looks like a quilt. It's it's a cloak, but it looks like a quilt because it's all a bunch of little colors and shapes sewn together, basically, and that's how you tell who a gleeman is. Um, and basically, having one of these, especially at Beltine, is just that's timing. That's good timing. And so they're like, man, he just showed up in the middle of the night and he woke the whole family up, but. I was if if it wasn't for this festival, man, it wasn't for the perfect timing. I would have forced him into the stable, and he would have had to sleep with it, <laughs> with his horse. <laughs> and um, so everyone's like wondering, like, oh wow, oh wow. 
And Matt's just like, now wait just a minute. Does he wear black? And of course, Brand just thinks that's hilarious. Like, whoever heard of a Gleeman who had a black cloak? Like, the, 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 their advertisement for their business to get rooms, to get fed, that's their advertisement. You'll have innkeepers coming out trying to coax them in because that's more people coming in to buy from whatever tavern or inn they're being the, the host of. Like, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a, it's a, I, you could almost say, especially in small towns, it's an economic game changer. <laughs> <laughs> for at least the short time that they're there because whatever like let's say you have a town with three or four inns taverns and a variety of other things that's whoever has the gleeman specifically more or less the best of all the gleeman available if there's more than one that's the place that's getting packed that's the place that's going to run out of food and drink because they're getting all the coin so it's it's a good thing for those places um so it's it's just kind of funny that like even Matt didn't think about like well why would a gleeman wear a black cloak that doesn't even make sense but then again you could also forgive Matt for thinking this because he's not seen many gleeman <laughs> so um, so we get a little bit more about uh, Rand's kind of laughing but tries to stop himself because he's kind of embarrassed. At the sheer absurdity of it, and Brand's like, "Well, hey, at least the green, at least the Gleeman's cloak brings a laugh, and that alone is worth paying for him to come down." So now we have a little bit of coinage involved with the economy, like we mentioned earlier, to show that you know, it's not often this happens. So it's a good thing for the village, and it's worth it to kind of like lift everyone's spirits. But then, of course, Sen Bui being Sen Bui, he's just like, ah, it's a waste of money. And then all of a sudden he lets slip that there's fireworks. And then Matt's like, oh, there are fireworks. And then <laughs> Sen just like ignores him. And he just starts complaining about the guy who's supposed to be bringing the peddler bringing fireworks. And... <laughs> And then Matt's just like, hey, hey, don't don't ignore me. So he goes and says, uh, I'll, I'll read from here. Why didn't you tell us? Matt demanded in an aggrieved voice. The whole village would have had as much fun with waiting as with the Gleeman. Or almost anyway. You can see how everyone's been over just a rumor of fireworks. <laughs> and then Bran being Bran is like, I can see. Bran replied with a sidelong look at the Thatcher. And if I knew for sure how that rumor started if i thought for an instance that someone had been complaining about how much things cost where people could hear him when things are supposed to be secret <laughs> he gets down clearing his throat my bones are too old for this wind if you don't mind i'll just see if mistress alvir will fix me some mulled wine to take the chill off mayor althor he was headed for the inn before he finished, as the door swung shut behind him, Brand's side. I'm sorry. It's just a funny instance. It's, it's comedy. It's pure comedy gold. Uh, I love sarcasm. <sighs> what are your thoughts on that? Uh, definitely. I don't know. I see it. 
I don't know. I like the Dating Agency because they like um, just made that I guess only a small instance of instantly just say changes they like the tone and tenor of it. <laughs> well, just it's, because it's, like it's... just moments before there there was a very serious conversation, dire conversation about he just said like this a uh, black clad rider, and then he suddenly just instantly swing into uh, sort of like kind of country, country folk antics. Yeah. It's just well, I mean, even with like you got the gleaming, you got the fireworks, but now you got a village council member kind of in trouble with the rest of the village council members that are uh, present. It's just, it's just funny. I mean, it's it's perfect, and um, it's I don't know. It's just how how everything's kind of playing out seems to be in an enjoyable situation. For the reader, and kind of an embarrassing one for Sen and uh, a couple other individuals, but um... I don't know. It's, it's sort of just in here, like here the kind of here, just here like here, the language used and all that here that you do sort of uh, see everyone as it's with like a certain level of uh, wit and uh... wit and sarcasm. Yeah, it's which, it... here, which uh, they constantly just here, here beat her. Uh, Send with. Yeah. <laughs> That's a dead horse that can never stop being beaten. Um, but I like how, like, they, they start talking about, like, well, the whole reason it was a secret, the fireworks and the Gleeman, was that, well, the Gleeman wasn't particularly a secret, but the fireworks were. But the reason the Gleeman was a big deal is because it's exciting for a small, a small village. And the Peddler is a very exciting thing as well, because that's where... You know, women can get their kitchenware uh, patched up. Men can get, you know, new heads for their axes so they can cut down trees for firewood. And, like, it's, it's they get their little odds and ends that they need to survive that they can get basically without having to make it themselves. And um, if something is damaged, they can get it repaired by the peddler, etc. like that. But the peddler also brings news. But if he's bringing fireworks as well, it's even bigger, a bigger deal. So, and they kind of point out is like it. They'd be way more excited than the Gleeman if they had fireworks and they were all anticipating him. But if he didn't show up, as Rand points out, he'd be fifty times as more displeased or downcast that he didn't make it. So they're like, "Well, we'll announce it when they get here because that way no one's feeling bad about anything, and it'll lift the spirits of people knowing that they're they're going to have that." So, <laughs> Bran gives a, uh, <laughs> a random compliment about how he's going to follow uh, Tam onto the village council, and <laughs> then he pokes fun at Sen again. <laughs> he couldn't do much worse right now than someone I could name. Oh, I love it. Wit is great. Um, and Bran's, Bran's a pretty good character, and you kind of like him for like his wit. And you can kind of tell that with that wit, there's a reason he's the mayor. <laughs> but, um, and then Tam's just like, all right, let's just, let's just unload the cart already, people. <laughs> it's been here for a while. Let's just unload it. I want to go relax, smoke my pipe, and have a good cup of ale. And, um, and obviously Matt gets kind of soaked into it. Um, but Rand's like, you don't have to help. And he's like, eh, why not? Like your dad said, quick arts in the cellar. 
And then all of a sudden, he kind of like <laughs> he kind of he kind of pokes at Rand's insecurities, which I love because again, <laughs> I love Matt. Um, <laughs> maybe Egwene is around, watching you stare at her like a poleaxed ox will just be as good as a badger any day. <laughs> I'm like, I've never seen a poleaxed ox, but I've re- I've I've heard of the term, but I'm I'm imagining that it's just gonna be like. It can't. It's got to be like that look of dumbfoundedness or something. It's, it's funny. It's a funny concept to me. But um, yeah. So, Rand's like, oh crap! I I completely forgot about Egwene, and then now he's kind of like looking around like, oh shoot, because he just arrived at her house, so he's kind of hoping she's not there. But at the same time. He's like, mm, maybe, maybe not, but more, more leaning towards the, I hope I don't run into her. And then Matt's like, let's go. I'm not going to do it by myself. <laughs> so you're not on the village council yet. And then Rand kind of like snaps out of it and her not being there didn't make him feel any better than her being there. And it's just kind of like. Rand, make up your mind. <laughs> Just make up your mind. But um, before we wrap up that end of that uh, chapter, uh, any overarching summary thoughts of uh, either lore or anything else that hasn't been mentioned already? I'm just quickly checking. Yeah, I can say this will be like kind of just general overall like overall thoughts um did, it, did uh, anything stand out to you i guess would be some, one thing did, did anything oh, particular i would do say that yeah like the uh the chapter has a like just the story has a like quite good flow because in just just a mere like 18 18 or so pages uh we've gone through just here so, so much here like here we like we as the reader has it we have here like a good understanding of here just here the region the people that live in it uh just here like here, on the general terms and also like kind of more personal ter- terms now and also just here like here, the sort of just tones used here like here at first it's here sort of here kind of Slow, slow into a calm, atmospheric, and then it sort of turns sinister and creepy, then sort of wholesome. A little, bit, here, a like, little bit of jovial. <laughs> yeah, jovial, and I don't know. It's just, it's he like. It's it's very much it's, a uh, a turnabout in the feel of it, because they go from being like on their guard because of the road to being like really on the guard because of this black cloaked rider to party. Yeah. I wish you'd also say that here, like nothing ever actually just feels like a slap in the face. Like there's no just instant translation of being like, okay, one thing then suddenly to the other. (laughs) Suddenly pineapples. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Events is sort of just naturally kind of flowing into into each other. And uh, also just like a, you get to see like people see your thoughts and feelings. Yeah, it's, it's, clearly, it's so. not that it's not that quick transition to where and now for something completely different. 
Gotta sneak my Monty Python reference in, sorry. Someone has to. It might as well be me. Because if I don't do it, somebody else will. And obviously, being the American that I am, it makes more sense for me to make the reference than the Brit you are. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe you, you're not as big a fan of Monty Python as I am, but... Um... I it's agree. okay. I'll, I'll sneak in some of your South Park things, and then you kick me off. It, it'll I, be fine. I, I know nothing about South Park, so that will go right past my head. But I, I, <sighs> I, I appreciate you, you Brits' dry humor a lot more than I appreciate anything American comedy. Put it that way. But fair enough. <laughs> so well, um, I guess that wraps it up for. Another episode of Tales of a Red Arm. Um, thanks for joining us. Um, hopefully we'll have a little bit more uh, increased traffic, perhaps, <laughs> for the next episode. Um, and again, you can contact us through either uh, talesofaredarm at gmail.com, uh, through Twitter at, at talesofaredarm, and also through Facebook, if you want to join us there, just for general conversation and the wonderful tavern, I guess you could call it, <laughs> that the uh, loving Red Arms <laughs> have taken up residence in, <laughs> as you guys hopefully enjoyed the last episode of that, and also enjoying them this time as well. But um, just come on in and chat and... Uh, Try not to spoil anything for anybody if you've read ahead a little bit. Um, we encourage everyone to read along with us. So read chapter one before you jump onto this episode. But obviously you've already gone through the episode, so it won't matter. But as we go into chapter two, I know I'm great. <laughs> but uh, as we're going into chapter two, just read chapter two before uh, next, the following week. And um, we'll have... A little bit more information on that and you could just come kind of along with us and maybe learn a little bit different things uh hopefully you guys found something interesting in this um i don't know james did you find anything interesting about any of the things i brought to light <laughs> any comparisons or whatnot besides maybe where the inn was located uh i would have to dissect this entire video again but <laughs> Be assured, there was something. There was something. I don't know what it was, but there was something. Ah, yes. I'm glad I stand out. But to make you feel any better, even though I put you on the spot, to make you feel any better, I don't remember everything because we just covered so much, and I'm sure we're beyond an hour already, which hopefully we're not at two hours yet, but <laughs> we're probably no, getting just close. A, just under. Just under. Okay, well, we should probably wrap it up then. But hey, at least it wasn't five pages this time that took that long. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So if uh, anybody wants to send us any questions or comments they have, or want to correct my pronunciation of something, which I would very much enjoy. Cause I like to say things correctly, even though I think I'm saying them correctly, I may or may not be, but I think I am. So, ha, <laughs> but, uh, thanks James for sticking along. Cause I know I, I could probably, uh, bore you pretty quickly but uh yeah so um i'm looking forward to your input on the next chapter james and what you think it is going to be a bit more exciting if you will as 
the story takes picks up a little bit more steam because obviously the first chapter starts a little slow, but I I thought the pace was picking up pretty nicely, but that could be just me. So, uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you guys next week and uh, go ahead and head to the tavern and enjoy the Red Arms wonderful, wonderful singing. I'm so sorry for that to begin with. <laughs> I am the cause. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, we'll see you guys around and uh, take care. All right, see you next time. Drink all night and dance all day, and on the girls will spend our pay. And when we're done, then we'll await to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and suckle the girls be they short or tall. And follow young Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and suckle the girls be they short or tall. Then follow Lord Matt. Wherever he calls to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll, we'll give a yell with a bloody curse and hug the maids, it could be worse. Let's ride away with the dark woods first to dance with Jack of the Shadows. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.